It's time for the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you Tuesday afternoon. Thanks for being with us. We had a lot of fun yesterday with our ESPN-UP Bracketology special, and we appreciate you for tuning in. But with a lot of that fun means there's more work to be done, and that, for me, means compiling two days' worth of sports news into one show, yesterday and today. But I can do it, though, and I'm looking forward to it. That's what they pay me the big bucks for. That's what we're here to do today on ESPN-UP. Mick McCabe of the Detroit Free Press will join me here in just a few moments. Everyone knows what happened Saturday night at the Breslin Center. Iron Mountain was on the wrong end of two controversial rulings by game officials. With 5.3 seconds left, Iron Mountain leading by one, broke a full court press, looked like they had an easy layup, and an official 74 feet away from the play called travel. And I get, you know, sometimes one official has a better angle or another, despite being closer, is screened by players or what have you. I don't know if any of that factored into the decision. But either way, a bucket was waved off that would have put Iron Mountain up three with five seconds to play. Then Iron Mountain, with fouls to give, decided to foul. They made a swipe in the backcourt when P-Dub was bringing the ball up the floor. And it was not called by the official. So Marcus Johnson decides to give the player a bear hug. Nothing egregious. Just wrap him up so he guarantees that the foul is committed. The official calls an intentional foul. And that puts P-Dub to the line for two free throws with .7 seconds to play. They make them both. And because it was an intentional foul, they kept possession of the ball. Iron Mountain never even got a shot to throw up a prayer to try and win it. And because of those two calls... Iron Mountain lost the state championship game 53-52. to And it has been a hot topic around the state of Michigan, whether it's downstate or in the UP. It has been a controversial and a much-discussed topic, as it should be. And Mick McCabe, again, who's going to join me here in just a couple of minutes, wrote a fantastic article about the situation on Sunday, talking about officials and what they can rule on and how the MHSAA can prevent this in the future, because this is a really bad look for the MHSAA for a couple of reasons. One, because they put on a fantastic tournament. The postseason, I'm so impressed with how the basketball tournament has run up here in Michigan. They do a fantastic job, and they had a fantastic weekend of basketball. Iron Mountain wasn't involved in the only nail-biter at the Breslin Center this weekend. There were some fantastic basketball games, but all people are going to take away is what happened at the end of the Iron Mountain game. That is a huge black eye on a really well-done tournament by the MHSAA. The other is the fact that they already have a shortage of officials out there. And now you're adding fuel to that fire. Officials don't like to sign up because they're berated. Sometimes, maybe deservedly so. My heart breaks for the Iron Mountain kids. I know they've got a great group coming back. Their top two scores are going to be back next year. But those seniors, and they worked so hard, and they had it. They had it, and they deserved it. My heart breaks for them, and I don't take anything away from the P-Dub kids. I mean, they did what they needed to. It wasn't their fault that something was called. But it's unfortunate that somebody had to lose that game. Because it was a fantastic game where both teams should have been able to walk away with their heads high, knowing they left it all out there. And you got to let the kids be what decides a game like that. Not the officials. I don't know if the official was just trying to make his statement, make everyone see that he is a big important part of the MHSAA state basketball tournament. I don't know if there was any UP versus low P bias, what have you. I don't know. I'm not sure what made the officials make those calls in that situation. I just know I wouldn't have done it. I get it's... A split-second thing, you're trying to make a judgment call in real time. I get that. I'm not trying to be an official hater, because I have respect for what officials do. They have the thick skin to go out there and get berated. It's a thankless job. When you get it right, no one says anything, because that's what you're supposed to do when you wear the stripes. If you get it wrong, everybody hears it. Everybody gives it to you. It's a thankless job and not one I would like, so I give them credit. But at the same point, you got to do it right. And because of the shortage of officials, the MHSA will not acknowledge wrongdoing. They're going to have their backs. They released a statement last night. It said, quote, 
We have received hundreds of comments on social media about Saturday's Division III Boys Basketball Championship game, and that is understandable. When a championship game played between two undefeated teams is decided by such a close margin, there will be strong emotions on both sides. However, continuing the controversy does nothing to benefit either of the participants, not the team that feels it had a championship taken away, nor the team that was awarded the championship trophy. The MHSA office cannot debate judgment calls. Qualified officials are placed on the court to make those calls. We will continue to provide full support to our officials who have the courage to make split-second real-time decisions in front of thousands of fans. So the MHSAA is going to stick by the officials no matter what. Because, again, there's a shortage. There's a shortage. Doesn't matter what kind of call is made on the floor. The MHSAA is going to have their backs. I don't like it. I'm sure you don't either. Neither does Mick McCabe. He's a sports writer for the Detroit Free Press. Very rarely will you find someone in the country who has more in-depth high school analysis than he does. He's been covering prep sports in the state of Michigan for almost 50 years. Mick, what a weird sequence of events and really an unfortunate one that transpired on Saturday. Tell me a little about what you saw firsthand. Well, um, there were two absolutely horrific calls made back-to-back by the officials. Um, Iron Mountain had a one-point lead. They broke the press. Uh, kid um, was running in, caught the ball running in stride, laid the ball in the basket. There was a referee at the baseline, and all of a sudden, this referee comes from beyond half court to make a traveling call. That, I mean, no way, no way at all. So there's 5.3 seconds on the clock, and. Uh, Iron Mountain had some uh, fouls to give. So, um, Puwamu Australia inbounded the ball, and this is crucial. Uh, the kid from Iron Mountain tried to foul him, but the referee didn't call it. Now, you know that the coaches from uh, Iron Mountain were yelling, foul, 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 the, and that's why the officials should have called the first foul. They didn't. And then... Uh, the guy, in, a, in an attempt to get him, just like grabs him and then wraps him up, and they ruled it an intentional foul. Well, by the book, it is an intentional foul. But like the coach at Sagro Novell said, that happened to them 15 times this year, and not once was it called an intentional foul. And uh, it was, a, sure, intentional foul this year was a point of emphasis by the MHSAA, and but it doesn't get called. I haven't seen it called once this year. So a guy from uh, PW goes the line, makes two free throws, and since it was intentional, with only seven cents of a second left, they kept possession of the ball, and Iron Mountain never, uh, you know, got a chance to do anything. And it was just, it was horrific, in my opinion. Mick, did the official offer any explanation, whether that be to Iron Mountain head coach Bucky Johnson, to you, the MHSAA? Have they released any type of a statement as of now? No, the MHSA has not released a statement. They're not going to release a statement. The officials don't talk to reporters. Uh, I'm sure uh, he said something to Bucky because he was right there. But, uh, no, uh, the MHSA, you know, they keep their mantra is, uh, you know, there's a coach's, there's a uh, shortage of referees, which there is, and uh, so we're not going to do anything to offend them. We, we, need, we need those guys. And, uh, you know, what they're saying in, a set, in essence is we need them more than uh, we need the, the players and the schools because they're always going to be there. But the referees aren't, so whatever they say goes. And it's, it's terrible. That's why we end up with bad officials in uh, the state semis and finals. Um, a big thing is that the MHS HSA says once you work a state finals, you can't work again in the finals for three years. Well, that's absolutely ludicrous. And their thinking is, hey, we want to spread this around and let you know give more guys a chance to work the finals, which again is idiotic. Uh, I mean, well, my high school, Allen Park Cabrini, has never played in the boys' state basketball championship. Well, let's spread that around too. You know, this has to be done on a merit basis, and uh, and it isn't for the most part, and it's 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 criminal. I mean, what they did to, you know, uh, those kids was just disgusting. 
Mick is a sports writer for the Detroit Free Press, covering high school sports in Michigan for nearly 50 years. Mick, you've been around this game a long time, and we had a great weekend of high school basketball, yeah. and albeit it's going to be marred by a couple of controversial calls, is going to be what people go back and think about. In all your years covering Michigan high school sports, is there anything that comes close to this weekend and uh, sticks out for you for reasons like this? Well, you know, you've had bad calls before and stuff like that, and I point out in today's column that uh, there was a semifinal game where Grand Rapids Force Tills Northern was down by three to Flint Powers, and a kid comes down and just underhand, just leaps in the air and underhand scoops the ball into the basket, and the officials were completely un- caught off guard, and they just looked at each other and shrugged their shoulders and ruled it a two-point basket, when um, we went back, a guy from Grand Rapids, uh, the TV station there, uh, let us watch it on his view, um, you know, where he, where he looks at it. And it, the kid was six inches behind the line. And, uh, you know, that should have gone into overtime. But, and one of the officials who made that idiotic call was working the other night, the Iron Mountain game. Nick, I tell you what, uh, did you get any chance to talk with Iron Mountain uh, players, the coaching staff, any fans, any kind of reaction that hasn't been widespread throughout local media already? No, I, no basically uh, everybody knows what Bucky said, and he was very upset, and uh, uh, he could have really gone nuts if he wanted to, but he didn't. And uh, it was just, uh, your heart just goes out for those kids from Iron Mountain because, uh, you know, they got cheated out of a state championship. They hadn't won. Is there any chance, I know you talked about the MHSAA will stick behind its officials because they're not always going to be there, but is there any chance that if there's any momentum to get a rule change regarding officials at the state tournament, would this be enough to gain some momentum for it? Well, there already is a little, there was before this. Um, there was talk of, hey, we got to get this right. We need to get the better officials there. It's not going to be like the NCAA. I mean, the NCAA, you know, when they send out the press release on the guys working the Final Four, this isn't their first rodeo. These guys have been there, and there's t- there's reasons why they're there so often. They're the best officials. In my book, we need the best officials to be at the state semis and finals as often as possible. You know, if they're the best, then they should be. You know, these these teams, what they go through during the summer and everything else just to make the uh, uh, to, to get to the state finals you know referees need to do the same thing they need to earn it and uh, and they haven't the MHSA is uh, starting to take a few of those steps tell me about some ways that uh, you're seeing them start to gear toward maybe getting the best officials down there in East Lansing well, it has, you haven't heard anything in, uh, that official yet from them it, right now it's just the discussion uh, phase, and I, I think those discussions are going to pick up a lot more after the uh, and because they have a representative council meeting this weekend uh, coming up, and so I, I think that will be a topic of conversation there. Mick McCabe, sports writer for the Detroit Free Press. Good talking to you as always, Mick. Appreciate you being on. Yeah, and, and hey, tell Dieterly he owes me money. Okay, <laughs> he definitely owes me money. I'll uh, I'll make sure he knows. Thanks again. All right, see you later. All right, we'll take a timeout. More after this on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Thanks for being with us Tuesday afternoon. Don't forget Westwood Patriot girls basketball tipping off in just a few hours. 7 o'clock tip, 6.40 will go live with a pregame at Gaylord as we take on the Lake City Trojans in the state quarterfinals. But right now, we've got football to discuss, oddly enough. Not regarding the NFL, but high school football. Two local coaches here in Marquette County were selected as the head coaches for the UP All-Star Game coming up this summer, and they had their draft Saturday night at Buffalo Wild Wings here in Marquette. They had their opportunity to create rosters from some of the best players in the Upper Peninsula, and they're going to get a showcase it coming up this summer. Scott Sergela of Westwood will be the head coach of one team. He's got Jeff Olson from Ishpeming and both of their staffs on his coaching staff. 
Then Paul Jacobson, the head football coach in Agani, will man the other team, and he's got several assistants throughout the area who are going to be assisting him. We're going to get to see some of the top players in the Upper Peninsula on display, one field at the Superior Dome at Northern Michigan University coming up this summer, and they make a great week out of it. They have a media day, they take trips to Bay Cliff, do some community service work and what have you. They have skills competitions, weightlifting, and all of that jazz. They make it a lot of fun for these guys, and 90-plus kids have a really unforgettable experience in their high school football career. So Scott Sergila joins me now, Westwood head football coach, gives us a little insight about the team that he put together and the team that he drafted. Well, I'm happy with it. It, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, it, uh, I thought we got a lot of kids that we wanted. And, you know, in a draft like that, you're not going to get everybody you want, you know. And, of course, being uh, Nathan Beckman's coach, you know, and, and Jeff being, you know, Hunter Smith and Krulik's coach. And, you know, you want those kids. I mean, it's, you know, I got a special relationship with Nate. And, um, you know, we would have liked him. But, uh, you know, we didn't get him. And, uh um, you know, so the first thing I told him this morning was, hey, you know, better look out. Here we come. But uh, so we're, we're going to make it fun. And it, uh, it's a great time for the kids. But uh, I'm happy with the draft, how it went. Well, tell me about the team that you did put together, <clears throat> maybe where you see some kids being played and how you want to use them. Well, I don't want to give too much information mm. away. But, um, you know, it's you look at a kid like Tyrion <clears throat> uh, from Kingsford. Um, big, strong kid, very athletic, played quarterback, some at Kingsford, uh, played running back, played wide receiver. Um, you know, so he's, he's our utility player. We can move him around. Uh, Montel Glover uh, from Stevenson, uh, very fast, big, strong kid, um, more of a, you know, dasher type running back. And, uh, but I did see some highlights on him. He's, uh, he's got really, really good hands. So, you know, we do have weapons, and of course, our first pick was Ethan Martish, who uh, uh, I know the family a little bit, and uh, great kid, um, comes from a good family, and you know, we've scrimmaged those guys, and um, you know, in preseason and that, and uh, he's fast, really, really fast. So I think we have some speed uh, on the defensive side of the ball. I'm happy with the defensive side of the ball. We have, you know, some linebackers in there. You got Ashton Bergman. Um, you got Drake Sunberg, you got the Kreiderman kid from the Sioux and, um, you know, so we, we got some, we got some spots, so it, uh, it, it'll be fun. It'll be a good game. Well, you talk about some of the kids that you're able to pick up from outside Marquette County. Do you have a relationship pre-existing with a lot of those guys? No, I didn't know a lot about them. Um, met the Rapid River kids. Um, they were sitting right behind us, uh, just kind of listened to them talk and interact with each other and their parents, um. Uh, we actually, during the draft, we were looking them up on huddle, and uh, I said, hey, let's, let's get these guys. And, uh, you know, it, uh, you, you want good kids, and, you know, you want good athletes, and, you know, but they, they sounded like two great kids that were sitting behind us. We, I talked to um, uh, the Kreiderman the kid and then um, Tate K from the Sioux. I talked to his dad a little bit. We were talking before the draft. They were there. There was a lot of people there. Um, you know, and you're talking with these people and interacting, trying to get to know them. And uh, I, I saw film on most of them. Some of the eight-man teams don't use huddle, so I wasn't quite able to see uh, all of the highlights. So I didn't, you know, but I, I did my homework, and, you know, Jeff did too. Our, our coaching staff did a great job of finding out uh, as much as we could on the kids and uh, where we can, you know, put a team together. So um, <clears throat> don't know a lot of the kids, but that's what the week's for. You know, get to know these kids a little bit, and the kids get to know each other. And hopefully, by the end of the week, uh, the teams that I've been on that have been successful in the All Star game uh, within that week's time have, have kind of uh, bound together and became a team by the end of that week, and are usually successful. Well, you mentioned to me last week when we had you on the show that teams get two minutes at a time to make their selection. Did you need the two minutes a lot of time, or is it kind of boom, boom, boom? Uh, early on, we kind of knew what we were getting. We got, you know, I'll be honest, we got thrown a little bit of a curveball uh, um, when they picked uh, Beckman. Um, you know, we obviously we wanted him to, and uh, but um, <clears throat> we kind of knew. We went through different scenarios. If they pick this, these two people or these two people, you know, who, what's our next? We we kind of decided that as a staff. Um, when you start getting down a little bit past the, you know, eight, nine, ten, twelve range. Um, that's, you know, 
where you want to think and say, okay, what do we what do we need? And, but it's not even necessarily what do you need. It's almost what the other team is picking. You know, where are they trying to do and where are they going strong and uh, where are we weak and, you know, things like that. So that, you know, you need a little bit of extra time uh, during that time. But Todd, uh, he was he was honest saying, all right, come on, you got to pick. So he did a great job with it. So it's not necessarily about filling needs of your own, but maybe trying to deflect your opponent from getting some? Yeah, sure. I mean, you, you know, they went uh, Tucker and Gerhardt, um, you know, and I don't know where they plan on playing uh, Tucker, I think probably wide receiver, uh, split them out, you know, uh, try to get them the ball. So we're looking and saying, okay, we got to get some DBs with some height. Um, you know, and we did that. Yeah, Pleaser from Western County is a taller kid. Uh, the Blanchard kid from Engadine, which I ended up seeing some film on him that I know he's one heck of an athlete. He's a great basketball player. Um, you know, he's a taller kid. He's about 6'3". Uh, you know, and then some other kids there, too. We got the Beauchat kid from Kingsford, which we know is a good basketball player, good athlete, taller kid. So we want to combat, you know, we can't let Tucker single-handedly beat us. You got to try to at least combat that. Uh, somehow some way so that's you know that's kind of how the draft goes you get to know a lot of these guys not necessarily on a personal level but from a performance standpoint because of other sports they play following sure. around the up oh yeah um <clears throat> you know a lot of these kids you know and and let that be a lesson to the younger ones too that uh, you know these kids that may, they may be in the all-star game uh you know you take a kid like jake witt um, playing at tech now uh, he didn't start playing football uh, last year was his, I believe, his first year playing football. Was an all UP kid. Um, we saw highlights on him. See, saw how big he was, and he was a real high draft pick for us. And uh, ended up being a, you know, made some big catches that game. And you know, he's he's one heck of an athlete. And uh, but a lot of these kids' success is due not to specializing in one sport. Um, you know, you, you see these kids that their huddle profile, you know, and you get to know them, get to talk to them, that they were uh, wrestling. And, you know, Sam Gillis will tell us, hey, I know that kid. I saw him at a wrestling tournament or something like that. Or you play against him in basketball. You, I see him on the track. You know, they're, you know, they're doing other sports. And uh, they're working year-round. But that's what makes those kids successful. Still waiting to get to summer before we can start thinking about this game too much. But at what point do you start really prepping for this one? Uh, I'll be honest, I did the night I, uh, <laughs> right after the draft. I started jotting a few things down and <clears throat> just because it was fresh, um, you know, jotting a few things down. And, I, and I'll continually work on it. I have some time over break here, work on it. But what's nice is, you know, we have our staff here and Jeff has his staff. And, you know, I, I have all those guys' phone numbers and, um, you know, we can get a hold of them. And, and uh, if we have any questions, we're trying to figure out, you know, you might have draft a kid. Um, as a defensive back, um, but we may have other thoughts in mind. We might want to put that kid somewhere else. And so we, we have a little bit of a general plan in place and just to kind of go over that and say, okay, now we got our working parts and how can we put them together? So One last ride coaching with Jeff Olson. Is that something that um, you're cherishing in a sense or kind of dreading that it's going to be the last one, maybe a little bold? Well, after the draft, I'm not looking forward to it. We were, we were butting heads like you wouldn't believe. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <clears throat> that's kind of who Jeff and I are. you got two strong personalities. Um, and I wouldn't say we were arguing, but we make good points for each other's, you know, uh, opinion, I guess you could say. And But that's, in my opinion, what uh, makes him a great coach. He listens to other people, and, and I try to listen to other people. I, you know, I, I obviously I'm going to listen to what he has to say. But our other coaching staff, his coaching staff, uh, George Nemi had a lot, a lot of input, and uh, Kyle Rudman showed up, set, had some great things in my coaching staff. Brad Wilgenin did a lot, um, had a lot of input and a lot of say on, you know, he did a lot of research, and uh, Chad Hewitt was there, and Earl Mann, and Coach Wolf, they were all there, and um, I kind of took all their opinions collectively, put them together to try to come up with a, you know, uh, a good game plan in that so I, I'm looking forward to it coaching with Jeff one last time and and uh, spending a week with them and um, you know it, it's uh, it's uh, the UP football it's going to be different now that he's done and uh, but I'm glad I get to spend more, one more week with him on the sidelines. Well coach Lasley it's not your first all-star game tell me what you've garnered from coaching in the all-star contest before and how you can apply it to this one. Um, you know you gotta let it's different it, it's 
these kids are there for a reason. Um, they've put in the time. They're great athletes. They're great kids. Um, we just want to – We. it's more on them. It really is. That, that's what I've learned. It's more on them. If, if you can get those guys to come together, come together as a team um, and get them playing as a unit, uh, the, the success that uh, I've been around in the All-Star game, that's, that's really the difference maker. And, um, you know, with our group that we have, I, I like our group of kids. I like our coaching staff. And um, that'll be our be our challenge, that, uh, but I think we can do it. Scott Sergela, head football coach at Westwood. He will be coaching one of the All-Star teams at this year's UP All-Star game. We'll take a timeout when we come back. Two of the best players, maybe the best in their respective sports, are going to be sitting on their couch watching the playoffs this year. Does either of them employ the nuclear option? Next, the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Thanks for being with us. Here is your Sports Center update. Former Kansas City Chiefs All-Pro Safety Eric Berry will be visiting the Dallas Cowboys today. Berry was released by Kansas City last week. Austin Watson of the Nashville Predators has been reinstated following a 27-game suspension. That stemmed from domestic violence assault charges from January. He is eligible to return for tonight's game against Toronto. And finally, a college tennis player has been suspended indefinitely after betting on tennis matches. David Norfeld, a Swedish national playing tennis at the University of San Diego, has been suspended for eight months and fined $6,000 for admitting to placing 195 bets on college tennis. Ouch. Tough scene. But the good news for him, he is eligible to be reinstated four months in advance, and the fine can be reduced to $3,000 if he keeps his nose clean until then. Either or, we have got... Some voting, some voting to make happen, and then some results to share with you from our greatest movie of all time bracket. We took yesterday off. We were busy. We had a selection panel. But here are the results from Friday's miscellaneous movie quarterfinals. Rocky, a big winner over Cinderella Man, 93% to 7. Rocky is moving on. Happy Gilmore gets by Dodgeball, 54 to 46 percent. They are moving on to the semis. Caddyshack, 57 percent to 43, gets by Cool Runnings, and finally Jerry Maguire, 86 percent to 14, over Invictus. So we are on to the semifinals for all four brackets, the football movie, baseball movie, hockey and basketball movie, and the miscellaneous movie. We are going to find out the greatest sports movie of all time. So we're going to vote on four matchups again today per usual. We're going to do the football semifinals and then the basketball slash hockey semifinals. Here are the movies you're voting on today. Football semifinal number one, Rudy against the longest yard. Pick whichever longest yard is your favorite. Rudy against the longest yard. On the other side, remember the Titans or draft day. Those are in the semifinals on the other side. The basketball and hockey bracket. Miracle against Mighty Ducks. On the other side, Space Jam and Coach Carter. So we know that we're going to have a basketball versus hockey final in the basketball slash hockey regional. Those are the four matchups you can vote on today. Polls have been open since 4 o'clock. You can vote until midnight. And do not forget Westwood Patriot Girls basketball this evening. Vote while you're listening. Maybe have the radio on, watching some of these movies so you can make an informed decision, what have you. All right, a tease before the break. Two of the best players at their respective sports, maybe the two best, are not going to make the playoffs this year. LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers have given up their playoff dream. They are riding the season out. Meanwhile, on the ice, Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers will once again not make the postseason. You didn't have high expectations for the Lakers this year. No one thought they were going to be a Western Conference contender. At least no one should have thought that. But aren't you a little surprised they're not even going to make the playoffs? Adding LeBron James plus a young group that played hard for Luke Walton. They played hard for him during his first two seasons as the Lakers head coach. You would have thought they would have at least made the playoffs. And now that's not going to be the case. 
Everyone looks back to when LeBron got hurt on Christmas Day and say the season changed then. And it probably did. In a lot of ways, LeBron was out for 17 games. The Lakers were in fourth place in the West at the time. I'm sure that changed the season in a lot of ways. But the one thing that they couldn't come back from was the Anthony Davis saga. When Anthony Davis announced he wanted to be traded and then said he wanted to go to the Lakers, that was the death sentence for the Lakers this season. Because those young guys stopped playing hard for Luke Walton, for Magic Johnson, for LeBron, for the Lakers when they learned they were expendable. When they learned the Lakers were willing to move on. When they learned that they were just pieces to try and get a better player, a superstar, and bring him to L.A. That's when the playoff hopes all went down the drain for the Lakers. There was no fight left in them after that. So LeBron, at age 34, could employ the nuclear option. He could say, yeah, I want you to trade me. But he's not going to. Because he's already got three rings. Like he said, everything else that happens to him is just gravy. He's out in a fun city. He's playing basketball for one of the most famous sports franchises ever. Doesn't matter. If he was a guy who'd never won a ring and his legacy was still on the line, then he would want to go somewhere where he could be competitive, and he would probably ask for a trade. But now the Lakers would not even honor that, because they've gone all in. They've invested their future in this guy. They have already thrown away that young core. They're still on their team. But Lonzo, Kuzma, Brandon Ingram, all those guys know they're expendable. It's a bronze team, it's not theirs. They've stopped playing hard. Because of that. Connor McDavid, on the other hand, is a much different story. We could have a whole debate whether Connor McDavid is the best player in hockey. I still personally think it's Sidney Crosby. Maybe that's a little biased of me, but I still think Sid has got it. When he retires, which will eventually happen and break my heart, Connor McDavid will be the best player in all of hockey. Maybe he is right now. That's up for debate. Connor McDavid has made the postseason just once since being drafted first overall back in 2015. The 22-year-old has been called the most evolved hockey player of all time. When you think about some of the great hockey players that have graced the NHL ice, that's high praise for a guy that's just 22 years old. And yet, despite his accomplishments, his accolades, he's got to feel like his organization is wasting him. It's really similar to what happened in New Orleans with Anthony Davis. You have one of the best players in hockey, for sure a top five. Same with Anthony Davis, a top five player in the NBA. You've had him for how long? And they've done nothing to build around him. That's why they're losing Anthony Davis. That's why he asked to be traded in New Orleans, because they've had him for so long, and they haven't made much of an effort to build around him. Was their biggest effort DeMarcus Cousins? Drew Holiday? Was that the best that Dell Demps in the front office in New Orleans could do to try and build around him? Over in Edmonton, same thing. They have Connor McDavid locked up until the year 2027. He'll be 30 years old by the time he'll be a free agent. And just based on who Connor McDavid is, I don't believe he would ever ask for a trade. But I think he should. He's played 68 games this year, scored 36 goals, 69 assists, 105 total points. Still one of the best players in hockey. And yet Edmonton is not going to make the playoffs again. Right now the Oilers with 10 games to play sit 32-33-7. They are 7 points behind the Arizona Coyotes. The Coyotes are in a position where they've stepped out of the realm of mediocrity that they've been in for the last 6-7 years since they went to the conference finals back in 2012. They're building a team around players much less talented than Connor McDavid. Why can't Edmonton do the same? They're wasting this guy while he's in his prime. Packer fans, you know about that all too well. If they want to win, both Connor McDavid and LeBron James should ask to be traded. But neither of them are going to. I wouldn't blame McDavid if he did, however. Because unlike LeBron, he doesn't have a ring. He has barely been to the playoffs. He's played 13 playoff games in his career. He's been there once since coming into the NHL, and he's not going to do it again this season. Trying to make up seven points in ten games? It's not impossible, but it's far from likely. By the way, some quick hockey news on the local scene before I switch over to basketball to end the segment. 
Congratulations to Phil Ballou. He has been named the captain for next year's Northern Michigan hockey team. Hockey saw their season come to an end this weekend in the conference semifinals, swept in two games by Bowling Green. Congrats to Phil Ballou. He will be wearing the C on the jersey next season. Switching over to the NBA, I just want to touch on this before we go to break. You look out in the Eastern Conference, Malcolm Brogdon will be out for the next possibly two months. At least the rest of the regular season, maybe a playoff series or two. That's a big one for the Bucks. Giannis, he's the most valuable player on that team. But believe it or not, Brogdon might be number two. You look at his efficiency, his net rating, he is as efficient as anybody you'll find in the NBA. Malcolm Brogdon maximizes every possession, gives you a great chance every time down. You saw what they looked like against Philadelphia on Sunday. They were a different team. And that's not their M.O. They have a system in place. Mike Budenholzer has a specific system. It's not like what Nick Nurse has up in Toronto, where they can evolve and shape into something else probably more than anybody in the NBA can. Toronto can play big, small, fast, slow. Milwaukee's not like that. They have specific guys on the floor doing their specific roles, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It's been a winning formula for Milwaukee this season. But now they're faced with maybe the biggest challenge that they've seen all year, and that is overcoming someone who does the job that Brogdon does on a nightly basis for them. Who's going to be someone who can step up in his absence? I'm looking at guys like Pat Connaughton, some of those role-player guys. And that's been the M.O. this season for Milwaukee. They tried to start Miritich in that spot on Sunday, and he didn't do very well. He didn't have a good game against Philadelphia, a game that Philly won 130-125. to It's hard to think that they scored 125 points despite just a terrible start offensively to the game. Giannis, helping with 52, had about half their points. Missing Malcolm Brogdon is going to be a lot more impactful than people realize on this team. If the season ended today, Milwaukee would still be the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. They would welcome Miami, or at least they'd have home court advantage for that series in the first round of the playoffs. And they might not miss Brogdon all that much in that series. But you look ahead to the second round, and Milwaukee could take on the winner of the Indiana-Boston series, who are in the four and five spots right now. You have a Boston team that's still got all the talent there. They still have the most talented roster in the Eastern Conference. If they can get clicking, no one's going to want to play them. And then you've got Indiana that, despite losing Victor Oladipo, somehow they're still there. And they're still making a push to have home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs. Milwaukee doesn't want to see either of those teams without Malcolm Brogdon. Because both of those teams have the capability to push a series to go six, maybe seven games. Boston, I think, certainly can give them a seven-game series with or without Brogdon. Milwaukee is going to need Malcolm Brogdon on the floor. But you don't want to rush that recovery time, what have you. They'll be fine with him throughout the regular season, and maybe even through a playoff series. But once you get to the conference semifinals, you absolutely need to have Malcolm Brogdon on the floor. Because again, the guy's efficient. He takes that pressure off Miritich, who's not ready to be a starter. It's kind of like Gordon Hayward with Boston. Gordon Hayward's a talented guy, but he's better off the bench. Lou Williams just became the all-time leading scorer in NBA bench points. Better off the bench. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's mental, but some guys are like that. That's the case with Miritich, because him in the starting role on Sunday, at least in the role that Malcolm Brogdon usually fills, just didn't work out. And Milwaukee is going to need someone to work out in that spot down the stretch if they want to continue to get dubs and to finish as the top overall seed in the conference. They should get a win tonight, you would think, taking on the Lakers. That game set for an 8 p.m. tip. Even the dead last Knicks can count on the Lakers to give them a win. Let's take a timeout when we come back. Some unfortunate news from Mississippi State defensive back Montez Sweat. Really unfortunate news that may put his promising football career in jeopardy. We'll break it down for you next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. 
Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Thanks for being with us. Just about set for tip-off of tonight's Westwood Girls Basketball Contest. We'll be getting going with the pregame here in a little less than two hours. And we'll have tip-off set at 7 o'clock. Hope to have you with us in Gaylord this evening as Westwood takes on Lake City. Well, I mentioned before the break, really devastating news for Mississippi State defensive back Montez Sweat, a projected first-rounder who was projected to go early in the first round. He had a great combine. He had a great college career with the Bulldogs. And then last week, it was reported that he suffers from a pre-existing heart condition. Now, due to privacy issues, further details have not been released. But let me tell you that this story affects me on an extremely personal level. For those of you who don't know, I've been diagnosed with Marfan syndrome. It's a connective tissue disorder that mainly affects the aorta and the eyes, as well as connective tissue. About one in every 5,000 people suffer from it, including myself, and I'll get to it in a little bit, but that's actually how I got into broadcast and broadcast media, what have you. So this really hit home with me whenever I see somebody else going through something similar. Because I bet a lot of you listening have never heard of Marfan Syndrome. And that's not to disparage you or anything like that. You know, it's a rare disorder. And I'm glad for any opportunity to to, uh, bring awareness to it. Uh, Marfan Syndrome, again, it affects one in every 5,000 people. But they're discovering new cases. And I don't think it's a factor of people are having it more. I think it's just people have had it and it's still fairly undiscovered, relatively new in a way, that they're just finding out how to spot it better. So Marfan syndrome is not a disease. It's not something you can catch or develop over time, but it's something that you're born with. It's not always caught when you're born. It wasn't in my case. They discovered it when I was three years old. So the main issue with it is that your aorta is bigger than the average person's and oftentimes still growing. And that was the case with me. I had an enlarged aorta and it was continuing to grow until December of 2016. I had open heart surgery at the University of Minnesota. I had my aorta replaced with a plastic tube so I don't have to worry about cardiac issues any more than the average person now that... You know, I still struggle with my vision. Anybody who's seen me try to text, try to look through Twitter, try to call a basketball game or what have you, knows that very well. I have a detached retina in my left eye, and oftentimes the biggest, you know, question people will have to raise to me is why do you look so closely at your phone, or why do you use binoculars to call basketball indoors? And I'm like, it's because I have a detached retina. It's something that I've dealt with for a long time. I've never known any better. But that's the thing with stuff like this. It's not always detected. It's not always what meets the eye. I mentioned that they didn't find out I had Marfan syndrome till I was three years old. Flo Hyman was an Olympic volleyball player in the 80s who passed away because her aorta got so big and ruptured under the pressure of athletic competition that it was fatal for her. And that's the big worry with Marfan syndrome is once that aorta gets too big or you put too much pressure on it through athletics, then it ruptures and it causes a fatal dissection. And that's why my sports career was largely ended early on. There's different dynamics to it. Some people are healthier than others. Some can't walk and, you know, are bound to wheelchairs. And I was fortunate enough where I could at least play tennis. I did through high school and I was a captain. I almost played in college, but I decided, do I do radio or tennis in college? You know, I'm going pro in one. I'm not going pro in tennis. That's the thing is sports casting became a way for me to stay involved with the athletics I loved when I was growing up. And as I got older, I realized I have a talent for it and I can turn it into a career. It turned out to be a blessing for me. I don't know if Montez Sweat has Marfan syndrome, but what I do know is that I am thankful for the position I was in. I was three years old when I found out I had Marfan syndrome. I don't have many memories where I wasn't diagnosed. It's pretty much all I've ever known, and I've built my life around it. I felt like I have had God's blessing to show me the path that I want to take for the rest of my life. Montez Sweat is in a situation where if it is Marfan syndrome or some kind of cardiac abnormality, 
that may jeopardize his football career, a very promising football career. Again, he's projected to go early in next month's NFL draft. But now, if this is serious enough, that might be it for his NFL career. He may not be able to get back on the field from this. I don't know. We don't know the specifics of what's going on with Montez Sweat. But what I do know is this young man's future could very well be in jeopardy. It would be like me finding out that I have some kind of nodes on my vocal cords that are growing and would cause me to never be able to do radio again, to be able to talk to you again. It would mean me being the age that I am, just out of college, as is Montez Sweat, and not being able to do what you looked like you were going to be able to do forever, what you've been planning on doing forever. That's the reality of where Montez Sweat is right now, and I hope and I pray that that's not the case for him. I hope that there's a way that he can still perform at a high level like he has in college and like we expect him to in the NFL. About five years ago, there was a basketball player out of Baylor named Isaiah Austin. He was projected to be a second-round NBA pick, and they found out he has Marfans, the same thing that I have. And again, it affects people differently. Some people stay in a wheelchair the rest of their lives or suffer a fatal a fatal episode. Guys like Isaiah Austin, it sidelined his career for a while. He was deemed healthy enough to play, and he was cleared for action. He has a career overseas right now in Europe. friend of mine that I had met long ago, I didn't know him well, but I you know, knew him enough. I could call him a friend. Passed away a couple of weeks ago because of complications with Marfan syndrome, and I I never want to make something about me or I don't want to get people to feel sorry for me or have sympathy, what have you, because I'm blessed because I've been able to do all the stuff that I can and still be in good health. And that's not the same for everyone with Marfan syndrome or with any other related cardiac disorder or even a non-cardiac disorder. We've all got stuff that we're dealing with, things that hamper us. I didn't want to make this about me because I'm doing fine in life right now. I'm happy with where I am. I'm blessed to be up here in the Upper Peninsula, and I love what I do. I love where I work and the people that I've met. I'm blessed. I feel for a guy like Montez Sweat, a guy whose whole future could be in jeopardy, and I can only imagine what's going through that young man's head right now. Because, yeah, maybe we both suffer from some kind of cardiac disorder. Again, not a disease. It's a disorder. It's not something that you can catch or obtain throughout life. I was born with it. It's encoded my DNA. I'll never be cured. If I can get the word out to raise awareness for Marfan syndrome, again, if you want to check it out, M-A-R-F-A-N. If you want to check it out, I'm gladly here to raise awareness for it. Answer any questions. I never have any problem talking about how it affects me. But it's not like any money that's going to be raised and go to medical science will ever go toward curing me or anyone else that's already been born that has it. I don't want to turn this into something about me. I feel bad for this young man, and that's why I'm saying send your thoughts, your prayers, what have you, for this young man because everything that he planned on in the future, his whole future right now is in serious jeopardy. I'm hoping this isn't something that is going to sideline him for his career. I'm hoping that he can not only continue to play football, but play at a high level and succeed in the NFL. I hope that a month from now when the NFL draft happens, he's going to have one of the most special nights of his life. That's what I'm hoping for, for Montez Sweat. We only have a couple minutes left in the show. I don't want to send anybody into tonight's quarterfinal matchup with a depressed mood. So let's take a look at some headlines from around the sports world that maybe you haven't heard of as you get set to enjoy your Tuesday evening. Dirk Nowitzki passes Wilt Chamberlain for sixth on the all-time scoring leaderboard last night. There have been a lot of questions. It surprises me, but there have been questions regarding whether Dirk is actually a Hall of Famer, considering throughout his career... He's averaged just under 21 points per game. To me, I don't believe it's a question. Dirk is a Hall of Famer. He's a 40-year-old guy that's almost being forced out of the NBA, and he's still performing at about as high of a level as you can for that age. Is he the Dirk of old? Certainly not. Not the guy from the 2011 NBA Finals. Does it feel to you like the NBA is almost forcing Dirk 
out of the league trying to force him into retirement. It's, maybe the Mavs are the ones doing it. But they have this whole celebration send-off. Doc Rivers stops the Clippers crowd so that they can applaud Dirk with nine seconds left in the game the last time they would play him. The NBA for the All-Star game says that he is going to be a commissioner's pick. It's like they're setting it up for this to be the perfect outro for Dirk Nowitzki. And he hasn't even said that he wants to retire yet. He hasn't said if he's going to or even if he has the desire. I kind of feel like almost the NBA is trying to push Dirk out. Maybe for good, maybe for bad, I don't know. Clayton Kershaw will not start on opening day for the first time since 2010. It was announced yesterday by manager Dave Roberts. We saw Felix Hernandez a couple of weeks ago was not going to be the opening day starter for Seattle next week. That was the first time that happened since the mid-2000s. Now, for the first time since 2010, the 30-year-old Southpaw is not going to start opening day for the Dodgers. Although, this one might be a little bit less surprising considering he hasn't even appeared in a spring training game this week. Dave Roberts does not believe that Kershaw is, quote, built up enough to be ready for opening day and that when he's ready to pitch for us, he will pitch for us. That's a direct quote from manager Dave Roberts, a guy who signed a three-year, $93 million contract with the Dodgers in this offseason. By the way, this would be a great trivia question. Stump your friends, anyone who hasn't listened to this show. The last Dodger to start on opening day, not named Clayton Kershaw, was Vincente Padilla on April 5th, 2010. That game was at PNC Park in Pittsburgh. Vincente Padilla, that's a flashback to the past. I remember him more with his time with the Rangers. Anyway, about 10 games left in the NHL regular season, and the Tampa Bay Lightning have already locked up the President's Trophy. They are going to be the team who finishes with the best regular season mark in the NHL this year. We've still got about 10 games left to play until the playoffs, and Tampa Bay has already locked this up. And I've said for a long time now, the Lightning are my pick to win the Cup. Probably a lot of people's pick. They're a popular choice. But they've already locked up the President's Trophy. They actually have nine games left until the postseason. A lot of the league still has ten. But Tampa Bay already has 116 points this year with a 56-13-4 record. That is 21 points ahead of second-place Calgary, who comes in with 95. I'd like to believe my Penguins still have a run in the Eastern Conference. They have the ninth-best overall mark in the NHL. But right now, it looks like the Lightning's League to lose. Lightning, San Jose Sharks in the finals. Right now, they're the two top teams in their respective conferences. San Jose and Winnipeg, collision course in the Western Conference Finals. You can bank on it. Eastern Conference, who knows? It's a toss-up. Who's going to get there and face Tampa Bay? Boston, Toronto, the New York Islanders, Washington, Pittsburgh, maybe. Even the Carolina Hurricane look like they are going to the playoffs. They're going to end that drought, is what it appears. Still a lot can change here in the final weeks of the season, but I love the NHL playoffs. I love everything about it. When you couple that with March Madness, this is absolutely one of the best times of the entire year. We are out of time on today's episode of the Sports Pen. Loved getting to chat with you as always. We'll do this again tomorrow. We will be back on, but first... We have Westwood Patriot Girls Basketball. That'll be tipping off in a little less than two hours from now. Hope to have you with us on ESPN-UP, online with our app, or at our website, ESPNUP.com. Pre-game will get going at 6.40 Eastern, tip-off at 7. Westwood taking on Lake City. I'll be there in the call with Jared Kosky. It's my hope that you join us. Thanks for tuning in to Sports Pen on ESPN-UP, WZAM, Ishpeming Marquette.